This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Let's go ahead and get started. And uh, tonight's uh, another episode of Not Another Church Podcast, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week, which is looking at God's Word, how to read God's Word. And I kind of wanted to open up tonight uh, and talk a little bit about, um, I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the idea of logical fallacies and arguments that maybe in Philosophy 101 you went over. I was sitting watching some, uh, which much to my chagrin, watching some of the back and forth on the news, and you could very easily sit there and, as this person talked, say to yourself, ad hominem argument, and then go, it would go to the next guy, oh, and you man. could go appeal to authority argument. It, it, it's like nobody in the country knows anything about illogic, so these politicians can get away with being illogical and, and reducing these arguments down to silliness. And so I, I turned the TV off in frustration and then realized that in the church today that I would say if I could point to one thing that seems to be missing is discernment. It's really common for me to have believers bring me uh, a, a book and say, oh, this is, you know, I was, I was just reading The Circle Maker, and it's just really had a good impact on my life kind of a thing, or the popularity of, of some of the, the Jesus calling kind of stuff. And it just seems like in the church today, there's very little discernment. And I think, and I want your input from this, but I think that comes from a lack of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Well, I think, and there's other examples of that, the Jesus calling thing, the, uh, like you said, circle maker, the, in the den, in the den of a, in the den on a snow day with a line or whatever that, the whole, whatever that one is. Uh, and then another one that came out, which was like a, it was a big deal within like the, uh, like my generation, like Gen Z kind of thing, especially with the girl, was the girl wash your Facebook? Yeah, uh, that was yeah. a that was a big deal. Have you seen that one? I have. It not. was it was really it, it was really strange. It was all about, and it essentially boiled down to yeah, you know, girl, um, you got all this stuff going on in your life, but you know, it's it's probably all gonna be fine. Like it, there was not a ton of there wasn't a ton of conviction. There wasn't a ton of repentance preached in that. There was just <laughs> there was a few. There's just a few. It was a very me center. Yeah, yeah, it was things like that, and, and so I think and I think it goes to. To to build up that argument of there's not a lot of discernment, if whoever an editor is, or and that's an editor of a book or of a show or of a uh, an article, whatever. If you slap a real nicely worded Jesus sticker on it, then it's Christian. Then it's Christian, and everybody's yeah. going to read it, and this is the next best thing. And it's like it's and really not because of the world in which we live. And and I don't want to jump too far high, uh, too high up for a view, but the postmodern view that we have, where everything is subjective or yeah. everything is relative, there's no absolutes, mm-hmm. there's no absolute authority, there's no absolute truth. I think all of that has come in sort of a trickle down effect to what we get to within the church pews is are are, are men and women who don't want you to tell them that the Bible gives absolute answers. Yet are clueless so about all I the answers. So I want the girl that um, 
is washing her face. Yeah. Um, I, I want her. I, I really <laughs> have. I, I haven't followed this, so I'm, I'm like sorry, sitting there going, this is, this is about two years old. Yes. Like this it, is. It a, is. It's not that far back. Out. So apparently, I have to a, read another book of junk. Don't, so no, you don't, don't have to. I wouldn't know. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Read a summary. You'll well, be fine. I, I, I read yeah. the chat. I'm sure TGC has something that'll say that'll say. But nobody wants there to be any boundaries. Yeah. What really is happening is I want everybody to feel good, and I want them to feel good about themselves, and so therefore I don't want to be able to tell them that they're wrong. There's never a time when I can look at, um, you know, some of my sisters in Christ and go, you don't need to read that because it's not true. And they can say, but she's trying. She loves Jesus. She says she does in the book. So I think it's sort of this trickle-down effect where we get to practical reality of when when we're reading something or viewing something or seeing something, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want there to be boundaries on our behavior, our thoughts. We don't want to go back. And it probably ties back into once I'm in the Word of God, then discernment starts to happen because I compare everything to the truth of God's Word. But then I have to believe that God's Word is the ultimate authority. Yeah, looking at that said absolute truth, it kind of becomes that that automated, hopefully you would want it to become like an automated filter in your life of what you're reading, what I'm seeing, how I'm talking, the conversations I'm having, the things I listen to, uh, and those kind of things. Like you would hope that that be kind of becomes your filter or your strainer or whatever (laughs) word you want to use. It goes to one of my pet peeves, and and I I probably even should include this on a broadcast, but I've told the women in in Bible study before, as we're going through this, when somebody says, share your truth, Mm. It drives me insane because those things don't fit together. I remember doing driving church. I used that phrase like in in the in the same argument that you're talking about. Of uh, we were using, I talked about the belt of truth and we were doing the armor of God. <laughs> and you, I, I remember that you got so animated when I said the when I jokingly said the share your truth thing. Amen. It's like no, no, everybody uses that, and it's, and it's true. Like like you said, everybody's truth is different and subjective, and there are God has made everyone's so many, experience are different, but truth has some absolutes to it. Uh, yeah, it, it yeah. does. And everybody's yeah. different. And God created so many billions of individuals individually and, and differently. Yes. I, I get that all that. Thing, yes. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I got that. I am my own individual, but I'm also a child of God. And if I'm not rooted in that, if I, if, if that absolute if, if that absolute truth is not a truth that that drives me towards the Word and drives me towards Christ-like living, then I'm, I'm everything else is just gonna. If, if it sounds good, it probably is good, which is not necessarily a, a principle that, I, that us or or if any it believer feels good, needs to. If it makes my friend feel good, if it has a Jesus sticker on it, then I can feel good about sure. reading yeah. it, and then I don't have to feel like I'm convicted over my own sin because this lady who is a well-known Christian author now, I mean, as we would refer to her, all of a sudden that's what she said. So if she said it, then it's okay for me in my life. Yeah. And, and, I mean, even Plato recognized and said truth and falsity aren't emotional categories. They're factual categories. Oh, that's shocking. That is shocking information. But that's that's so (laughs) counterintuitive to what you see in mainstream media, in Music in all kinds of different stream, uh, streams now. Like you see that that's that it's that that's no longer the principle that our culture largely he- adheres to. Well, th- we aren't the first culture to get to that. No, I, you're right. I, in the in the book of Micah, which I would put that with um, 
uh, Nahum and Habakkuk. We probably haven't heard a whole lot of sermons from Micah. <laughs> Not recently. <laughs> this is what Micah wrote. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. As I read that making crooked all that is straight, I, I thought of all the things that were clearly defined in the Bible that it, people go, you know, I've just really gone back and studied deeply. There's no studying. <laughs> it just says it. It just is. Yeah. <laughs> so who built Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice prophecy for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. And that, that, as I read that today, I'm like, I'm living here, man. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, God loves us. There's nothing bad going to happen. God wants to give you a big hug. And sometimes... Sometimes I feel like because I feel the pressure going in that direction, I go in the other direction and, and forget that God is love. Yes, yes. And that's a very big part of him. But uh, he's also holy, holy, holy. And that balance between the two seems to be lost in our culture. And again, there just seems to be no discernment at all. And I think it does come back to the fact that Jesus said very pointedly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I fear that people in the church today don't actually know what those commandments are. In fact, going to the, well, we, we just need to show love to each other, John said in 1 John, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so, both our love of God and our love of Jesus and our love of each other is defined biblically as obeying what he's told us to do. And I don't think people know what he's told us to do. Or don't want to know what he's told us to do. There is some of that, I think, in play. Yes, there is some that we don't know. There is some that we don't want to know. But don't, okay, let's give the average pew sitter the, the benefit of the doubt and say, and, and I, I hear this from people, I, I just, I don't have time. I, I've made it my on my to-do list that I'm going to do this. It's just, you know, everything gets in the way. And, and as I hear that, I, first of all, I know that it's not an issue of time. As someone's looking at me saying, I, I just don't have time, I, I want to go, so how are you posting 30 times a day on Facebook if you don't have any time? <laughs> yeah. Or how are you liking everything on Instagram if you don't have time? So I know that's not it. Then, then it comes back to spiritual warfare. And, and I will admit that in my own spiritual walk, it never fails that when I get my notebook out, get the word out, the next 45 minutes I'm going to, I'm going to be spending, that's when the church member calls six times in a row. That's when um, something happens here at the, at the church that has to be taken care of. The enemy's not doesn't want you to do that. Absolutely. Let me, let me just tell you, yeah. lately with our reading the New Testament plan, we're in you know Matthew 18 through 23, I think, this week. I've never been as sleepy any time this week than I have when I've opened my Bible to Matthew 19. Let me just tell you. Right. Automatically, I, need, I want to take a nap. It came out of nowhere. I could have just had coffee and ran around. You know what? I'm really tired all of a sudden. Yeah. And so that we have to recognize that the enemy doesn't want us 
to be in the Word, and there are things that we need to do to make sure that he's not successful in that. And we, we've talked a little bit about that, and I've actually had some questions, uh, and, and so I want to reiterate that I, I personally have learned um, that I am not spiritually strong enough to use a uh, app on my phone yeah. for the Bible. I, I can't. If if I do, and I don't know, I heard, and I want to say it was Luke Giglio at Passion was saying that Facebook and um, Instagram both have algorithms in them that recognize that your phone is open and you're not looking at them, and so it sends you badges and sends you, oh, you got a like or or whatever. So and so has gone live. Yes. yes. So and so has gone live. <laughs> yeah. Matt has added to his story. Yeah. And yes. you know what? I'm going to look at the story. Matt, no offense to you, but I don't care. That's fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but if I'm sitting there trying to read in Matthew, and all of a sudden a little bloop comes up, Matt's added to his story. I'm not a big enough boy to not look and say, what has Matt done? Oh, it's Winston. It <laughs> it's definitely my dog. It's Winston. <laughs> it's Winston. And, and I'm looking at Winston, and then 30 minutes later, Ann comes in and goes, I, I need, okay, it's time for this next thing. And I'm like, where did my Bible study time go? Yeah. Because now, I, I you know, it, it doesn't fail. So what I have learned to do is um, I will put my phone aside uh, I have actually had times when I have turned it off if I know where everybody is and that there's no hope that Lizzie's driving down the road with no brakes. Um, and I will get out the old school paper book and sit down and read that way. That has I have found that that, and part of it's the serendipity of holding a book, and part of it is that it gets you in the right headspace and all that kind of stuff. But a big part of it is is there there's not that distraction. Um, and so you're going to have to learn, dear listener, what you have to do to guard that time. I've, I've had people in the church say, I'm not a morning person, but I have to get up 30 minutes before the first kid walks in the kitchen because if I don't, I'm not going to get a quiet time. It may be that you learn that because uh, I, I remember really well uh, when I was 13, 14 years old and... Uh, uh, there, there's a program that at White's Chapel that they that's kind of like Awanas for teenagers called Proteins, and it was a great program. Um, but you had a Bible reading, you had to take notes, and so um, the the youth pastor at the time suggested that everybody get up an hour earlier so that you could have this time for your Bible reading, you could have time for your prayer. And so what I found that I would do is, you know, I set my alarm for five, I would snooze till five thirty. And then I would, that, that was old school where you actually had a button that you hit to snooze. I would snooze until 5.30. I would get up, get my Bible, and then fall asleep sitting on my bed with my Bible in my lap and then feel like a, just a bum the rest of the day. I could, couldn't do it I, because I'm, I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. And so I learned as a teenager that when mom and dad said it's time to go to bed, A, if I said, well, I've got to read my Bible, that worked. <laughs> To buy me 30, 45 more minutes, and I could actually engage. I learned from me that that was a better time. And I, I would say I spent 20 years of my Christian walk thinking, well, Jesus got up early in the morning. <laughs> I, if I really loved God, I could, I could do it. 
He got up. Well, as, as and as a young mom, I remember p- applying some of those type of boundaries and disciplines to your life when you have young kids. Like, if I didn't get up and hit the floor before the kids did, I didn't get a shower that day. You know, I <laughs> yes. mean, you you know, those very early years when you learn to work around that. If I don't do this by a certain period of time or do this and fit it in, you learn how to fit those things in. So you have to learn also to make a priority and go, okay, I've got some decision making here. Do do I put this into my life or do I not and we go through all of us go through spells where we're not good at it where you're doing the little snackables you know you're doing a devotion really quickly you don't dig deeply enough um I found during the pandemic uh when we were quarantined at home that I did not do well with that I do much better with structure with having I, I have to be accountable for teaching lessons for being at church for being in front of my sisters you know in Christ and things like that that I was like okay this works much better <laughs> you know when I have to be here Absolutely. and do this and do that and have deadlines on on my time and so I think it just becomes a decision making a very practical application for all of us and, and for me if I and again this this is just me if I sit down and I usually do it about once a month and say Monday from this time to this time, this is what I'm going to try to be doing. From this time to this time, this is what I'm going to be doing. If I plan it out, it happens. If I just go, at some point today, I, I'm going to have to you know, read, read Matthew 22, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so for me, I have got to set things down. I am very list-oriented. Um, the uh, Apple Watch, the circles, I can. I'm. I'm that guy at at, not, at 11:45. I'm walking up and down in the street in front of the house because I got to close that circle. Um, and I'm still the one who refuses the Apple Watch. I, I don't want one. I don't want another thing. For me, it's about distraction. I, I, you know, if I can set my phone down and walk away from it, I can get the housework done or the bills paid or the job done or the studying done or the preparation for a lesson. But, I mean, I just feel like if I had another one that I actually strapped onto my body and walked around with, that I would just be like, oh, what's that? Yeah, you know? my, I haven't worn mine in a few weeks because my dog ain't my charger. So, uh. <laughs> so I and I'm certainly not trying to sell Apple Watches or Garmin Watches. I'm just saying that you, the listener, have got to figure out how to motivate yourself and make this a priority. We do what we want to do. Yeah. Whatever's a priority in your life is going to happen. In fact, I read a thing uh, several years ago by David Wong where he it's a New Year's article that he wrote, and he said, this is, this is how you make real change in your life. You sit down and write out what the top 10 priorities that you want to do. And he made a big deal out of it. I mean, like five paragraphs of, you know, make sure they're the things. And then he says, for the next week, don't change anything. Just write down what you actually spend your time doing. Now, go back to the first list and throw it away because those are the lies you're telling yourself. And if you look at <laughs> what you're what actually is. doing, that's what your priorities are. And that's what you're doing is what you're going to finish. What you're not doing and you say, those, that's what you're telling yourself to feel better about yourself. And so we, I think that oftentimes we say, I, I really want to read God's Word. Um, we get into a cycle. We say, I want to do that. We don't prioritize it or plan for it. It then becomes a shackle because the enemy uses it to guilt us because we haven't done it, and it puts us in this side. It becomes a new law. We're not interested in creating a new law that says if you're not using this list, you're, you're not a real Christian, which is why I tried to tell the church when we introduced this. There's no test. You just, if you miss a day, 
pick pick up. <laughs> or you can do. I'm I missed a few days um, because somebody burnt the Capitol down, and I had to teach in Obadiah. It was okay that that Friday I was in a doctor's office for an hour, sitting in a room by myself. I caught up. Mm-hmm. The, it, there, I wasn't penalized for that. I only, I didn't get only sixty percent because it was late, and so don't make this a new law. Make it a priority and make it something that you recognize. We're not doing this so you can get a check in the box. You're doing this as we talk about discernment, as we talk about uh, anxiety. If somebody comes to me and says, I, "I'm really dealing with anxiety," and I. I don't mock that. I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate issue. I'm saying that uh, God's Word is the best thing you can do to fix that issue because uh, there have been times in my life when I have struggled with uh, panic attacks and, and waking up in the middle of the night with you know a heart rate at 165 and sweat pouring off of me. Um, I had learned to immediately go off to a room by myself so I didn't wake everybody up and people didn't think I'd lost my ever-loved mind, and reading the Psalms out loud. And I remember the first time it happened where I was doing that in a a room away from everybody and fell asleep while I was reading the Psalms. And and came in at like 8 o'clock that morning or 7.30 or whatever and was like, what are you doing? And I'm laying there with drool running down my face (laughs) uncomfortably in a chair and the Bible's laying on the floor. And that's exactly what I needed. That was the balm that I needed. That was the medicine that, that I required. So here, here we've said discernment, anxiety. Question after question after question that comes up in your life. How do I deal with that boss that's being a jerk? How do I deal with this coworker who's lying to me? How do I deal with the fact that I, I can't seem to get ahead financially? All of those things are dealt with in this book. Strangely. <laughs> and we, we've made it feel like it's, you know, some kind of esoteric, you've got to know the code. Just read it. Just read it. It says so clearly. You know what? You got somebody who's being a jerk to you, who's being your enemy. Here's what you do. You love him. You, you, you do good to him. If you really in your heart still kind of hate his guts, being kind to him is going to heap coals of fire on his head. Tells us how to do the Christian walk, so that you can do it without, uh, without question or without, without go, having to go. It just oozes out of you. Mm-hmm. I think it was, maybe it was Dale Moody that said that we the way that God grows His church is that we're in the book so much that if we're pricked, we bleed bib, bibline that we bleed the Bible, and, and the old, the old. Uh, a preacher's saying of if uh, if a mosquito bites you, he should he should fly Just away, saying in pyre in the blood. In the blood. <laughs> yes. But we don't do that. We we don't do that in the church. And so what what that creates is an environment that is not discerning, not loving. It's it it's almost like we're we're playing a game. And a lot of the books that we talked about today. Um, I think are filling a void where Christian people are spiritually hungry. Mm-hmm. They're not real sure what they're hungry for. They believe the lie that the devil's told them that you can't understand that. That's too deep for you. And so they think that some regurgitated baby food junk is enough or is going to feed them. 
And I have argued that some of the things that we've talked about, and I'm not picking on this particular book, but um, the the whole idea that uh, in the Jesus calling, and it was marketed to to women, mm-hmm. and I felt it to the the Lifeway and the the pastors and ministers who kind of oversaw that marketing campaign, I I felt was extremely destructive and sexist because what it was saying was is honey you you can't handle what Jesus actually said so here let me give you let me give you a little 3 by 5 card and if Jesus called you on the phone this is what he would say because uh, and 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 go wash the dishes and it'll be okay and it'll be okay it'll be all right yes it was the epitome of mansplaining yes and i could not believe that we bought that hook line and sinker and that when someone brought it into North Lincoln Baptist Church, and I said, "Yeah, let's not let's not pass that out to people." I had an argument on my hands. Why this has helped me? And so, and again, you know, we've all probably all had a well-meaning believer who's brought you a copy of the Shack or brought you some uh, book by Prince or not not Prince like Joseph. Purple Rain, but Joseph <laughs> Prince. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think Prince ever wrote anything other than, I mean, music. I mean, he wrote Purple Rain. <laughs> he wrote music, but yeah. Okay, yeah. we. <laughs> on that note, let's let's take a short break so we can pay the bills. And you're listening to, watching a Not Another Church podcast. As we come back to Not Another Church podcast, con- finishing up with our discussion about God's Word and being in God's Word, uh, you can't discuss really. Um, being in the Bible without turning to Psalm 119, which is uh, in its entirety written for David to to teach the people that how much God's Word is important to them. And he writes in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I've always thought that was really beautiful. And then we pause and say what David is talking about is God's word is the Pentateuch. And we we talked, I think, the first time that we talked about it, that the Pentateuch sometimes in the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, some of the, that's not the most exciting reading. It's not. <laughs> you hit Leviticus, and it's just not as inspiring as you want it to be. Tomorrow, or this coming Wednesday with our students, I'm doing you know, Abram, Abraham, that kind of thing. And that whole the whole passage that goes from the end of Noah's story to Abraham's story picking up is just like literally like two chapters of just telling who had what kids and how many they had <laughs> and how old they were. And it's like, golly, man, this is a... These folks are old. Like these guys, these guys are really old. All these guys are like four hundred something odd years old. And like we go from like chapter six or chapter six of Genesis, and it's only until chapter nine before we pick up with with Abraham or something like that again. And it was, so, I mean, it's just all this person had this person. They had that many sons and lived this many years. And when we were thirty five, they had their first kid. It was just, it's all that, and it's, it's not, it's, it's not, not. I mean, I, I'll it's do, not an exciting read. I'll do I'll do a lesson on that to our students on Wednesdays, but I'm not sure they're gonna get a whole lot out of it. Well, and there there's a purpose of it. I actually 
have one of my sugar daddy sermons is the bagats, mm-hmm. uh, because I want people to see why God gave us that. I don't think that there's an expectation that we would sit down and and try to read that like you would a novel, because that's not what it's designed for. Um, but I mean, David talks a lot about his lo- love for the law, and and as I sit down and re- you know, we talked last week about. Um, I don't really struggle with uh, eating a kid boiled in its mother's milk. And so reading the prohibitions against that, or if you find mold in your house, how, how to, to make sure that, you know, that wall is cleaned and ceremonially cleaned. That's what David is talking about. And what he says is, is that it's his heritage, it's the joy of his heart, and I, Let's think of for a minute why that would be in, for this 4th um, century B.C. believer. Up through human history, mankind, we know that all over the world, men build temples. Men want to have a relationship with God. They, they don't understand who God is or what he has, what expects of us, um, and so you have... You know the stereotypical: if the volcano is going to explode, we throw the Virginian in the in the volcano to to appease the volcano gods, or we we sacrifice a, a critter for the the rain god or the sun god. And why, if you just step back a little bit and reverse engineer that, why is mankind doing that? We don't. We recognize that there's a being that is higher than us, and we want to. The fancy word that the Bible uses is propitiate, but we want to appease that God so that uh, the things that we need, that our life can just can happen with happiness and, and we can have crops and the volcano doesn't explode and kill my family and the thunder God doesn't come and strike my kids with lightning and that that God is appeased. What the first five books of the, the Bible tells us is where we came from, who God is, and what he expects of us. And the law itself boils itself down and says, all of the law can really be summed up in love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That do, you know, do mercy, love justice, and the rest of these pieces kind of fall into place. And so now, instead of thinking that God is somehow, and I can, I, as we live life, it's easy to get the idea, even as Christians, that God is somehow arbitrary. There's no predicting things. I, I could be driving home this afternoon and some drunk driver run into me and kill me. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. We look around us at the evil in the world and the wickedness in the world and the fact that, you know, if you listen to crime junkies, sometimes you'll listen to crime being described and you're like, what kind of wicked, evil person does that? The Bible explains exactly where wicked evil comes from, why people are wicked and evil, accepts that fact, even shows the best of mankind is also wicked and evil, and fills in those blanks. So David is saying, I can, it's my heritage. I can go through life and I know what God expects. 
I know what he's requiring of me. It's not, it, it's not some kind of arbitrary, oh gosh, we've got to take half of the, the crops and burn them and we've got to do, no, God tells us. He doesn't, he uses the written word so that there's no question. It's not confusing. This is what you do. You act, we see a sense of fair play in the law. Hey, if your cow gets out and gores somebody to death, there's a penalty for that. But there's a different penalty if your cow gets out all the time and you just ain't doing nothing about it. Well, that's, that's fair. That's a sense of fair play. And so the law lays that out so that we see that. And so David is saying it, it is the, the, the word of God is the gateway to being able to have a relationship with him. We know what he expects of us. We know how he wants us to act and react, and we can learn that, and then we get to where he becomes both God and, as Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And the whole counsel of God, as, as we go through it, you know, I, I think I understand the heart of the question of, of what would Jesus do? Remember, what, 15, 10 years ago, everybody wore the WWJD bracelets. And I always thought that was a horrible question because it's so subjective. I mean, you know, if, I, if I'm going to date Susie or Sarah, what, which one would Jesus date kind of thing? <laughs> Well, invariably, I'm going to trend toward whatever I want. That's what Jesus wanted to do. Um, a better question to ask is, what did Jesus do? And that's not subjective, that's objective. We can read exactly what he did and then pattern our life off of that, which is why I love to throw tables over. Um, I was talking with someone uh, that's doing the reading plan, and they were saying, there are lots of times when I'm reading the story, and in my mind, I kind of think, okay, so Jesus is going to give it to these guys now, and he doesn't. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I really, when uh, the, the, the Pharisees are questioning, who does this Jesus guy think he is to say that he forgives sin? I want Jesus really bad to, to punch somebody in the face or, or flip a table and... and um, his response is so much deeper and so much better that it's jarring. It, it's like you're going, whoa, that's not what I would have done here. And the, it's funny because Matthew actually almost as an aside goes, well, you know, he could read their hearts so he knew what they were thinking. And, and that's not even the important part. That's not the part that he's focused on. He's focused on the fact that Jesus says, um, yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sin. And so you know that the Son of Man can forgive sin, i.e., I am equal with God. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk. And that's so much deeper and richer than what I would have said because I, I really, like I said, I, want, I wanted Jesus to kick them and knock them down and throw a table on top of them and, and on and on and on. So my point of all of this is, is that um, we have in our possession the very words of the God that made everything, everything. And I, I, was, I was reading um, one of the Greek philosophers, I don't remember which one, recently, and he said, a man will walk to a mountain to, to see 
how awesome it is. A man will walk to a, the sea to see how awesome it is. The man will never focus on him, his body and himself and recognize how awesome he is, that the machine that's carrying him to the sea or the mountain is equally as super awesome. The God that made the sea, the God that made the mountain, the God that made the sky, the God that made the fingers of the baby that you hold, that God, the God that's so wise that he could do all of that, distilled everything that he thought that humanity needed down to one collection of books. And through unbelievable trial and and just it, it, through the fact that it's come through human history to us today. In fact, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, it was the oldest uh, by like a thousand years, the oldest ver- version of Isaiah that that archaeologists had ever come across. And everybody was, "Oh, we're going to find all these textual variants," and it was like ninety nine point eight percent exactly what you have in the Bible that you've got thrown on your coffee table. God had not only breathed out the words, he then protected the word so that in in the 20th century America today, you have a direct link to words that the God that made you, you have that right there. And we ignore it. It sits covered in dust on our coffee table or... um, sits on the the uh the the back of of our car from Sunday to Sunday we have the gall to reach over our bible to some snack pack and read what somebody else who's probably ripping off somebody else said about God's word we don't take the time and so i'm i'm imploring you believer i'm begging you with everything in me if you do anything There's nothing that you can do that has more of a spiritual impact than spending time in God's Word so that you know how to treat your neighbor as yourself, so you know how to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because he he doesn't leave us ignorant with that. So often we act like, uh, I don't don't know how, this is such a huge question, I don't know how to deal with it. Well, there's some specific Things that deal with whatever that issue is, that um, you, you and to go back to the idea that you can't understand it. Not only did God give us His Word, but Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit would come, He would be our teacher. So not only does He give us God's Word, He gives you Himself to teach it to you. Which is why there I have met in my life many little old ladies who know God's Word way more than I do. Why? Because they've read it, and the Holy Spirit has taught them as they've gone through their life, and so they know it. They know it just as well as they know the, 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 the grain on the, the, the coffee table or the back of their hand. They know it. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to, you don't have, to have anybody's opinion. You've got the Holy Spirit. Okay, you guys got to jump in here. You're just looking at me going, yeah. Well, I wanted to throw in, the only thing that occurred to me is as you were talking about Jesus when he spoke to people um, several years ago, I heard someone else that was that was talking about Jesus' life and ministry and when he spoke to others. Um, 
the way he did it is something that I have prayed about before that God would help me with is when I'm talking to others and we're talking through their problems and the things that they're going through in their life and we're applying biblical truth to it, Jesus always kind of opened them up within their own assumptions. What he did was help show them, just like we've talked about with counseling someone, what he did every time was to pull out of them where their heart was. He revealed to them themselves at the same time being able to teach us long-term lessons and giving us something that we could apply to our lives. And so when you were talking about that a little bit earlier, that occurred to me that I remember thinking through so many times that I would, you know, and, and prayed about God as I'm talking with friends and sisters in Christ and that we would help one another, that we would open up our own hearts so we can see who we are so that it helps me when I then do learn scripture that I take that and apply it to my life with knowledge, with understanding. Yeah, my favorite example of that particular thing is the rich young ruler. That's like yeah. literally oh, wow. one of my favorite conversations yeah. that Jesus has with somebody. Because uh, he comes to him and he's got all this kind of gusto and he's like, "Hey, what what can I, what can I what can I do to hop on this train? Like, what do I what do I got to do? Because I want to be a part of this and and obviously materials and stuff mattered to this guy. And but but he wanted he wanted the quote unquote clout. He wanted to follow this this little Jesus' popularity, this the trending. That was kind of yeah, yeah. Like, he obviously saw kind of he the had bought the, the t shirt. Yeah, yeah. Like, he knew what was he up. Had a hashtag. And and Jesus says, "All right, big fella, everything that you got, all your stuff, let that stuff go and, and then follow me." Yeah. And, he, and he walks away, and it's like, crap. You know, like Jesus knowing good and well where that guy's heart was, he could say all the things and, and had all the physical resources and, and tools and attributes to follow Jesus. And yet, when Jesus presents that to him and, and, and lays that out there for him as clear as day, it completely just, I mean, you see, you see that man's priorities and in in his heart there to where, you know what, really... It's cool and all, but it's not really worth all my stuff. What about when Pilate, though, when you have Jesus standing in front of Pilate, and he's like, what is truth? Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And you're going, no, no, you, you've missed it. He's right there. Right. You know, I mean, and, you know, you see those stories, and the more familiar you become with God's Word, the more exciting they become, the more um, deep and rich they become to yeah. you because you start to go, oh, he missed it. Or oh, she got it. Or you know, right. Uh, and another one is when uh, when the Pharisees bring uh, the lady caught in adultery. To oh Jesus. yes, that's another one oh, I'm yeah. because it's mm. it's different than a lot of other encounters in terms of you know often how I want to deal with things and my big like machoism kind of thing. I want to deal with the sin and deal with the problem. I want to be a Pharisee. But Jesus's first thing is he shows grace to her. And then, and then addresses that sin and goes on, which, again, is a different than some of the other ways that I think the big church, the global church, deals with things. Like, we want to deal with things. We're going to deal with the sin and then disciple and show grace later. And in some cases, that's exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But there's in also some cases, I, and I feel like we do a, wor- a less job, the global church does a, does a, a worse job at showing grace and then dealing with the sin mm-hmm. when we'll flip that and we'll be real good at the other one. But we look at that story and it's one like or the other. Jesus, yeah. exactly how that lady needed to be ministered to and how that lady needed to be, how her situation needed to be worked out. Jesus worked it out just like, just, just like for, for the, for the because betterment of her. To don't show forget her what in her the middle of was. him showing her grace, he turns around to her at the very end and says, go and sin no yeah, more. I mean, that's the biggest I thing. Mean, like we look is, at the end and say, we kind of try to slide by that part. Cause we're like, Oh look, they were trying to get her in trouble yeah. and they didn't work. And Jesus told them like it is. But then he turned around in, in, in a different way, 
told her. While like showing the too. Pharisees and all the people yeah. who gathered around, hey, y'all bunch of y'all bunch of idiots. This you're just as bad as she is. Uh, and I again, that's one of those where I. I I read that story, and I really want Jesus to start flipping some tables. Yeah, start <laughs> like, smacking some faces. Just, just like start roundhouse kicking <laughs> yeah. people. Exactly. Like, okay, you caught her in adult. You caught her. Where's, where's the, the man? guy? <laughs> yes. Where's the man? Y'all are so holy. I want Jesus to sell that, not doodle in the dirt. But that teaches us so, I mean, that's just, again, it's so deep because he is dealing with their hypocrisy in a way that's not going to damage her coming to him. It's just, the whole thing is just it's masterful. It's just to watch the master do while, his while work. Smart. While she <laughs> while, while she is shown, hey, this just so you know, this this bad. What you, what you what you were doing not not good. Not Still good. not good. Not I, good. I, I, we 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 made this right. Like you're. We get it. They're just as bad as you are, but the problem still is all y'all are still bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's some scripture about that. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, all I, y'all bad. I, I think all y'all bad is a good summation of probably half. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I mean, half would be all y'all bad, and then the other half is God is good. I'm here, <laughs> I'm here, I'm here eight hours a day. Yeah, I mean, I do what I can. <laughs> yes. So... We, I don't want you to look at the, the, the tool that we've given you with the, the reading list is just that. It's just something for you to use to help you, to give you some structure, to help you be practical. Um, if it's not helpful, throw it away. If find it, something that find it is. Find something that is, whether yeah. that's uh, a, uh, again, I, I, I found very helpful, a read through the Bible in the year sort of thing that the, it, you open it up and it's got dates on it. Um, there, there's lots of tools that are he- helpful. It's just like we said with versions. It, you know what? Who cares? Read the one you got. Yeah. Let's, let's find a tool that's helpful and use it. And, and start doing practical disciplines in your life. There's got to be practical boundaries, whether it's taking off your watch, laying down your phone, going somewhere quiet, whatever it is. If you have to get up earlier, stay up late, do what it is. There's, find there's, those there's sweet spots. The, there's still you. the principle of dying to self. I yeah, mean, there's still yeah. that whole thing of I need to remove the things that gratify me in order to make more of him. And I'm in so my life. not good at that. Oh, no, that part sucks. That <laughs> part just, sucks. I, That's I, the I, worst. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> it's but, worst. you know, but that whole process of doing that and so often we find brothers and sisters in Christ who are like, I feel very distant from God right now. I feel like we're apart. And you start asking them questions about, are you in God's word? Are you fellowshipping with other uh, believers? Or, you know, all the disciplines, are you in prayer? You do the wheel and you do the disciplines of the faith and you find out, and when I am feeling distant or when I am especially finding myself in rebellion or sin against God, I know every time that all I have to do is look at my life and see where my will has... um. You know, I'm losing. I lost the spoke. Well, and most of the time, <laughs> you know? for me, like being honest here, it's this. It, it's it's a hundred. I mean, I would say hundred percent. But most of the time, it's this. I don't have a problem being around people. Rarely do I have to say, nope. you know what? That's not my struggle. You know, you know what? I just, I just really need to get around some people. That's not me. That is not me. Some way or another, I'm talking to someone, whether it be social media or it's Xbox not. But I have friends for whom it is. Right. Yeah. And that's what, I'm, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what that wheel has more than just you know two spoke. But in terms of you know daily praying specifically, not mm-hmm. you know, hey God, thanks for the food and uh, all the unsaved people save them and all the people who are but sick the missionaries. Hurt. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Don't forget the missionaries. All, like, having yes. a dedicated prayer life and and then doing 
consistently being in the word and work and, and working through that that's always where my where I know my spokes are broken when, when I feel like when I feel like I'm off or you know me and God are distant or however we phrase it it's like most of the time it's it's one of those two spokes for me consistently yeah and, I, I would say so and I I want to address I did have uh, a person who who contacted me and and brought up a very good point what we're talking about is a spiritual discipline. It's not just an intellectual discipline. Right. Yeah. Now, the the Bible does not ever call on us to not utilize our mind. And the, just the very act of of reading or if if you, you're somebody who needs to listen, which we already kind of went through straight like Bibles or, or Alexander Scoresby, whatever your jam is, whatever that's got to happen. But it is somewhat of an intellectual exercise and, and I can say in my own life that where where I see that is when I'm only in the Bible to prepare. Mm-hmm. Like if I am reading Obadiah because I'm trying to get ready for Wednesday night, or I'm reading in Luke because I'm I'm preparing for that sermon, um, I'm not getting fed the same way as when I sit down and say, God, I'm I'm reading this chapter in Matthew today. Speak to me, mm-hmm. and so. Yes, it is an intellectual exercise, but we're not it's not just an intellectual exercise. And I would say that it would be very arrogant for me to approach God's word without first going to God and saying, "I need you to open the eyes of my heart. I need to see wonderful things from your word today, so I need you to work through that and it to be much more than just intellectually saying, "I'm going to read um, matthew twenty three because I want to get a check in the box. Well, so, like you said, for your for your the whole you know big loud words, just read it. That's not so that you can be smarter. It, it's not just so that you can know more things and win trivia. Bible trivia. Yeah, that's not. That's not absolutely. Yeah, that's not. It's not so you can become smarter. It is first and foremost for your spirit. Like this. This is that. This is the reason that's there. I mean, like you. T- I heard you say multiple times. In discipleship and in the just the life of a believer, Christianity is, is one of the things where a CEO can be discipled by a janitor, and that's not about who's smarter and who's not. That's about what the Holy Spirit is working in that situation, Absolutely. and that's what it's about, not necessarily mm-hmm. how much smarter or, or whatever that you are because of, of you can understand what propitiation means and sanctification and all the Asians and all the tologies and all those things. And, yeah. Those are important in knowing those things, but if your spirit, if you know all the stuff and your spirit's empty, there's a lot of people who know biblical history and a lot and know a lot of stuff who may or may not know, who may or may not have their spirit changed by what by what the, by, by that absolute truth that's in the word and you grow cold those are the times when we find in our own hearts that we grow cold that that love for god begins to wane as you you know as you don't exercise those things and 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 you find that oh yeah yeah the bible's true it's it told me this would happen you know and you know you step back and you start praying again okay god you know grow my love for you and you start growing his your love for his word for his people you know god help me to be compassionate and loving to them um when i find that i'm not especially compassionate for something you know all of those things all of that ties together and and i kind of want to close with a a story that we're that god used in my own life to kind of teach me this principle of the difference between an intellectual approach and a spiritual approach um Early on, when I started taking seminary classes, I did it online, and um, I, I, you know, took Greek 101, and so I was pretty sure that I, I had a handle on the language and lots of mistakes that the translators had made. Um, 
and I, w- I w- was feeling pretty confident about myself, and, and uh, I, I was going to church at a little uh, Baptist church in Cartagena, Colombia. We were living in Colombia. I was working for Drum and Cole, and um, I got to know the pastor of Centro Batista de Cartagena, um, and uh, I knew a little bit about his background because he was in his 60s, there was a period of time in the in the 1970s where there was heavy persecution in Colombia, both from other so-called Christian religions and from um, pastors being told, you're not allowed to speak against this sin or that sin because we're making money off of it. And so uh, I knew this man's story, and I knew that he... Uh, had been beaten for preaching a sermon that someone had told him not to preach to the point that he'd lost an eye. He had a, uh, a very poorly made glass eye. Um, and I had a lot of respect for this guy. So I, I was in his office one day and um, saw his Bible open and recognized the, the name of the Bible, and he was using a reader's Bible which for those of you that don't know it, like an NIVR is an English version of that. That's a Bible that's designed for people who can't read very well, for little kids. Like when an eight- or nine-year-old comes to me and says, I need a, need a Bible to give to my child, I will recommend, you know, like an NIVR because it's simple. It uses very simple words, uh, and it's easy to follow. And so here is this mammoth of a man of God who hopefully during the millennium I will be qualified enough to clean his toilets, and he had a worn-out Bible that was uh, designed for children, but he had read what he had and used the intellect that he had to a point that God had used him mightily. And so, if you have a Bible, just read it. God will use it in your life. God will take, you cannot, I mean, just today in Matthew, I, I was reading, uh, for out of the abundance of the heart, the, man, the mouth speaks. And I did not like what the Holy Spirit said to me as I read that verse. I did not like that, uh, you know, when I'm sitting around with, with the boys, things slip out. And so God's saying, hey, that's a heart problem. That's not a language problem. Mm-hmm. That's something that's going on in your heart that you've got to check, biggin'. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And it, it's just like what we said with Jesus where, where the, he knew that when to look at the Pharisees and say, uh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, ye serpents, who warned you to flee from God's wrath, and when to debate, when to sit down with Nicodemus and say, let's talk about this born of the water and of the Spirit. He knew when to doodle in the sand and when not to. The Holy Spirit's done the same thing in my own life. There have been times when when the Holy Spirit takes a verse and points in my heart and says, you've got to deal with that. There have been times when I didn't think I could take the next step, and I read in God's Word where I'm strengthened, and I'm I, I, I've shared from the pulpit the story about when I was about to leave to go to Nepal, and I knew that the Nepalese government had recently fallen to communism, and I'm thinking, uh, very rarely for me that this is a mistake because we're going to get all these pastors together and get them arrested, and and I'm questioning whether or not the what I'm bringing is of value enough to risk their lives. Again, very rare for me because I'm usually pretty convinced that what I have to say is really important. <laughs> but 
as I'm questioning that, I'm thinking that, okay, this is stupid. We shouldn't do this. I was uh, listening to the Bible and listening to a story I've read a thousand times as Jesus walks on the water. And as the reader is reading it, as I'm driving down the road, it said, be not afraid, it is I. And that was just for, at that moment, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It was such a comfort. And I literally started crying to the point that I had to pull the car over. And, and if a cop had pulled up behind me, he would have sworn that I was on something that wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but God, at that moment, he met me exactly where I was, and he met me in God's Word. So please, it's not a check in the box. It's a gift. So utilize it in your life. Realize how powerful it is and go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king.